we agreed to explore all the possibilities of human experience, didn't we? Well, speaking of, I think, speaking of courtroom stuff, um, although this isn't entirely a courtroom film, but another one of the films I mentioned was that I was going to watch was this film Compulsion. Um, what this is about, and speaking of... How do I uh, know this life, film? Okay, well, maybe, I don't know if you've heard of this, but... Keep it, talking about it. Well, it came out in the 50s. Specifically, 1959, I'm going to say. Um, the movie stars Orson Welles. Um, but Orson Welles, it's funny because he's... It's another thing, like, with the, with the third man, where he gets top billing, but he actually doesn't show up until halfway into the movie. Um, but does he play a key character like he does oh, yeah. in in the third man? He should not only, he plays He's a like a, he's like a reverse Hitchcock psycho. He <laughs> the main character the key character disappears after the first third, Orson Welles appears in the last yeah. third. <laughs> what this is about is um it looks at the uh I believe it was called the Leopold Loeb uh, trial. Oh, uh, I don't know if you've heard about this case. Bad it was in the news. 1920s, specifically 1924. Um, there were these two uh, law students, um, and Leopold and Loeb, Leopold who killed Loeb. a uh, a young boy. Yeah, they basically in they, cold blood. They basically. killed a boy in cold blood, pretty savagely. Um, and, that, and when we say killed, pretty they super killed this boy. Yeah. Um, and what to the movies. Credit, or maybe because it was also 1959 that the movie was made, they don't really show this part. The movie kind of starts right after that. Um, in fact, it sort of starts with uh, one of the characters uh, stealing like a typewriter from uh, the house that they were in. Because, uh, you know, why not? Um, but, Once you've killed a small child, stealing a typewriter is nothing. Yeah, I mean, well, basically the movie's in kind of half. The first half of the movie follows the two characters, the two killers. Um, you don't maybe... At first, you're not 100% sure if they have killed, but you kind of get a sense, yeah, they probably did. One of them is uh, named Bradford Dillman. Well, this is the actors. And the other guy is Dean Stockwell. Uh, Dean now, Stockwell. Now, that might sound familiar to you because, well... Oh, Harry, Harry Dean Stockwell. <laughs> Well, it's funny you mention that, because both Harry Dean Stanton and Dean Stockwell were in this movie, Paris, Texas, huh. which is one of my favorite films from the 80s. So tell me um, who Dean but Stockwell also, is. Well, Dean Stockwell was also in Blue Velvet. He was the guy who, when they go to the... Um, when Dennis Hopper kind of takes... Oh, was he the guy lip-syncing to yeah, uh, In Dreams? Yeah, he brings up the work lamp and he lip-syncs In Dreams. Oh, cool. Yeah, that was him. Um, this is him in very dreams, young. I walk with you. <laughs> that's perfect. not him, that's Dennis Hopper. But yeah, yeah I know what you're talking about. I was wondering Andrew's Dennis Hopper imitation. There you go. Um, <laughs> Where's my bourbon? <laughs> very good. I chose the cleanest line that Dennis Hopper had. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, so you chose like half a line. from. That's all you could quote without like... You know, feeling guilty. But anyway, um, so Dean Stockwell and this other guy, they they basically go through the first half, you know, try to convince themselves, you know, we've committed the perfect crime. And Dean Stockwell... No one will ever find out or make a movie of it. Well, they're sort of... Their characters are messed up. They're, yeah. They think that they're basically uh, a little bit like the... I almost thought of them as like the Raskolnikov type character where... I'm like the Superman. I'm the person who 
and they even mention Nietzsche in the movie too, as like, you know, I'm the person who's kind of higher above everyone. I can't be touched. Um, the difference is, is that one character is clearly a sociopath, uh, the Bradford Dillman character. He's the one who has no, re no real sense that he's done something wrong. He thinks it's all big lark. Whereas Dean Stockwell actually, now he recognizes it and it does actually mess him up. Like he tries to hold everything inside and he's very like, uh, in a way, he it's kind of weird that this movie came out in 1959 because it sort of anticipates Norman Bates because he's a character who's very uptight and holds everything in and he looks very clean cut and he actually has stuffed birds in his house. He's <laughs> he's one of these, um, what do you call Taxidermist. Like well, no, not a taxidermist, but he's also ornithologist. Really, he's an ornithologist. So he's really into that. And so the first half, you follow these two guys and how their whole plan, their plan kind of falls apart because a DA, who's not who's not a vindictive DA, but he is smart enough to kind of realize, wait, these guys are feeding me a load of crap as a story as to where they were on these dates and what they were doing. And so he finds out what they were doing, arrests them, charges them with murder, and they're they're you know they're facing the noose. They're going to get hung, you know, for killing a kid. Enter in Orson Welles, who plays this guy Jonathan Wilk and he's uh fashioned after um oh god and I'm gonna, I'm gonna blank on his name now but again this he is plays their lawyer case. he plays Clarence Darrow okay That's it. and he was also famous for the Scopes monkey trial right what Clarence Darrow did and then also this movie shows because it's basically kind of like a docudrama is okay these boys they did a terrible crime they should be punished. They should actually get life in prison. They shouldn't be killed. So what the second half of the movie is Orson Welles playing this lawyer who, you know, very, you know, very simply trying to argue, oh, you know, look, these boys are really messed up. I can't really use the mental, uh, that they're mentally insane all the way, but I can try to argue that, you know, they're really young they they did this really terrible thing to someone who had the rest of his life to live, but don't kill him. And it's an argument for against capital punishment. So ultimately, uh, Orson Welles basically kind of takes over the last like ten minutes of the movie, and he gives what I think I read online. It was like one of the longest, if not the longest, courtroom speech ever in a movie. And he really dominates it. He knocks it out of the park. He knocks it so out of the park. I'm not... Uh, when I post a clip of, the of, of this film, I won't include the whole thing, but I'll include a little snippet so you get a sense of you know, how much grandeur that Orson Welles gets. For the last three weeks, I've heard nothing but the cry of blood in this room. I've heard nothing from the offices of the state's attorney but ugly hatred. God's sake, are we crazy?! If you hang these boys, it will mean that in this land of ours, a court of law could not help but bow down to public opinion. In as cruel a speech as he knew how to make, the state's attorney has told this court that we're pleading guilty because we're afraid to do anything else. Your Honor, that's true. So of course I'm afraid to submit this case to a jury 
where the responsibility must be divided by 12? No, Your Honor. If these boys must hang, you must do it. It must be your own deliberate, cool, premeditated act. The state's attorney has laughed at me for talking about children's fantasies. But what does he know about childhood? What do I know? Is there any one of us who hasn't been guilty of some kind of delinquency in his youth? How many men are there here today? Lawyers and congressmen, judges and even state's attorneys who haven't been guilty of some kind of wild act in youth? And if the consequences didn't amount to much and we didn't get caught, that was our good luck. This was something different. This was the mad act of... Two sick children who belong in a psychopathic hospital. Do I need to argue it? Is there any man with a decent regard for human life and the slightest bit of heart who doesn't understand it? We're told it was a cold-blooded killing because they planned and schemed. Yes, but here are officers of the state who for months have planned and schemed and contrived to take these boys' lives. Talk about scheming. Is, but what's great about it is he's not, you know, he's not yelling every line like this all the time. An outlaw! Well, don't don't diminish Orson Welles to that. And you know, it's it's not, you know, he's not a planet that eats plants either. Uh-huh. <laughs> he wasn't big enough by this time in his career to no. be compared to a planet. No, no, that came later. At this point, he was sort of halfway there. He was fat, but not that fat. He was tubby. But the reason to see the movie, it's a good movie. Um, actually, it's funny because like when I mentioned that the movie's in two halves, the first half is good, but it's you know the act. It's a pretty standard movie showing you know oh you know these pe- you know these kids are probably going to get caught at some point. It's only a matter of time. One thing leads to another, and Dean Stockwell is really good. Orson Welles takes over the movie. In the second half. It's his movie by that point. And, you know, you want to watch it for him because this is one of his best performances by he is He is the Tommy Lee Jones of this movie. Hmm. Tommy Lee Jones in, stole the stole in, the show in uh, The Fugitive. I, he stole the show that. in, uh, what think, is it? I think that The Fugitive oh, what is, is that? both for Under Siege. Movies. I didn't see Under Siege. You're not missing much. <laughs> but unless so you like Tommy one, Lee Jones, no. But it's a really oh, and a compelling... really and a really good Gary Busey performance. Uh, well, ah, good Gary. How many times can you say that in the world? Huh? I'm sure. It's, I'm sure they used to come around. But Orson Welles is so great in this movie. He is. He towers over. But the thing is, what's great is, again, he he doesn't yell out everything. It's more like a humbled kind of perform of greatness. He's talking, and it's more like, you know, I don't know what, you know, this world is all about, but I know that these boys, you know, they don't deserve to be killed because then we're all animals. You know, that's basically the gist of the speech. If you want to check it out, just the speech, I'm sure it's somewhere on YouTube. But uh, but all it's right. a good, solid little uh, movie that, just like with You Don't Know Jack, addresses an issue but puts a human face on it. All right. All right, my next movie, uh, Megamind. There is no Easter Bunny, there is no Tooth Fairy, and there is no Queen of England. This is the real world, and you need to wake up. I'm the 
for two supervillains. Oh, you're a villain, all right. Just not a super one. Yeah? What's the difference? Presentation! With oh, Will Ferrell, oh, oh, it, Brad Pitt, I, you and know, Tina Fey. For a quick second, I I was like, Mega, wait, is that like, is that Mega Force? But no, that's a totally no. different movie. <laughs> Mega Force is a movie from no, the 80s. No, no Barry Bostwick to be seen. No. Uh, I actually have not seen Megamind. Well, Megamind is good. It shows how far DreamWorks has come. I mean, uh, it's well, a little few years old, but I mean. Uh, yeah, well, it's actually, still... DreamWorks has kind of fallen off, unfortunately. Oh, has? Past, well, well, not fallen off, but, I mean, they actually, um, this is sort of, I don't know if this is old news, but they actually cut a, uh, a good number of jobs from their animation department, and I think they might be scaling back and not really taking that many chances on movies that aren't, you know, like Kung Fu, Kung Fu Panda 3 or... They're consolidating another. at this point. They're kind of consolidating. So a movie like Megamind might be a little tougher for them to make today than it was five years ago. But they've made, uh, let's see, Kung Fu Panda and Kung Fu Panda 2, both really good movies. Yeah. Uh, Rango. They did Rango, right? No, no, no. That was... Uh, oh, no. That was... Actually, that was um, Lucasfilm. What? Or, not if not Lucasfilm, ILM animated it. All right, never mind that. Uh, but, you know... For DreamWorks, this was a good movie. It was a good movie. I mean, uh, 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 you know, well put together. Performances are kind of lacking, but otherwise... Uh, really? You well, know, it, well, Will Ferrell, does that, that almost seemed like to me from the outset, Will Ferrell and Tina Fey, this is kind of like... Yeah, they might have had Tina fun, Fey's good but, in it. Okay, so she's better than Will Ferrell, you might yeah, say. Yeah, but, like, there's a thing in anime... Brad Pitt also plays a, a pivotal role, too, Yeah, right? but there's a thing in uh, in animated movies that I've noticed, that when okay. when voice acting is delivered very well, mm-hmm. uh, it, it blends seamlessly. And I can't explain it because it's not something you can see, and it's not something you can really hear. You have to kind of intuit it. But sometimes, like, you when, can tell when characters speak... really giving a crap. Well, no, it's not even so much about, uh, it's not even so much about enthusiasm. It's about, like, it's about being comfortable in a role where you don't perform, where you speak. Your performance comes through your speech and not through anything you say or do. There's a, you can tell a difference when, like, for example, when I watch one of the Toy Story movies, I know that. Tom Hanks is actually giving a legitimately great performance as Woody. Yeah, you can tell quality of performance. Yeah. And there is a lesser quality here. You can hear it somehow. Uh, I don't know what it is. But I mean, otherwise, nobody, nobody might, does a bad job. Sometimes it might sometimes not even it, come down to the actor. It might come down to the direction. Yeah, and it could be the direction. It, uh, or enthusiasm. But I mean, the there, were a lot of, there were a lot of stars in this. Jonah Hill also has a part. I have to wonder... Now, I don't know how you feel about this, but this brings up a question to me. Um, It used to be when I was a kid, it was a really big deal when celebrities were voicing movies because, for the most part, a lot of animated movies were voiced by just voice actors. They weren't really stars, but they voiced a lot of movies. They voiced a lot of TV. Um, Thinking of, like, Jim Cummings as a name that comes right to mind. 
And, you know, maybe a movie like Toy Story or maybe The Lion King sort of started to change that. But now it seems like you don't get that at all. Now it's all... You have to have names in animated movies. But that might not necessarily translate as to a better movie. It's just that your movie happens to have stars. I don't think that's true. Because even going as far back as the golden age of Disney, Mm -hmm. there were celebrities in those voice roles. I mean, Alice in Wonderland... Uh, Ed Wynn was the voice of the Mad Hatter. I mean, he oh, wasn't okay. a huge celebrity, but he was a recognizable person. Uh, okay. I mean, he had a very distinct voice. I guess what I mean, though, is not... But, I mean, but hold on, let me let me finish. Sure. Like, there are uh, other things, like Robin Hood. Uh, this is not Golden Age <laughs> Disney. And it's not even a great thing. <laughs> I, I like Robin Hood. Robin Hood, I, I like... It's a kind of I loved, pleasure. I loved Robin Hood when I was a kid. And it just Robin doesn't hold Hood up so anymore. Much. But, I mean, there were so many... Oh, there were a lot of celebrities in, the, in that who were basically... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, like Peter Ustinov. Peter Ustinov and uh, T- oh, Terry Thomas, who played the, Sir Hiss. Terry you, Thomas? What What is that guy's name? Is it Terry Thomas? Um, I could look it up. Uh, but, uh, but the point is... Uh, and, like, people from American television, the guy who, uh, vo- like, the guy from... <laughs> What I'm trying to say but, like, is But the that... celebrities have been in animated films for a very long time. Okay. That has not changed. Right. And there are still people that we don't recognize in animated films. Like, I can't name half the voice cast of, of Frozen. Uh, really? Yeah. I mean, who... There are some big names in that. Some, but not all of them. The main well, roles were. Kristen Bell is a pretty popular person. Right. And uh, Josh Gad. Who? <laughs> All right, maybe I should rest my... Josh, you've never heard of Josh Gad? I've never he heard that name Olaf? before. Now. He's a pretty recognizable comedy actor. I've never I've never heard of him. Well, well, the name Josh Gad doesn't really float off People who are listening to the podcast, you can tell me how much of an idiot I am if you want. Or you can tell Jack how much of an idiot he is, possibly. Frozen has some... Well, Frozen has some names. It depends. But they're not it. all household names. Frozen was a change of pace. From something like Megamind, where you have but, it loaded with big, huge names. Yeah, Megamind is Megamind loaded, and it's to... and so is Toy Story. Uh, Rango oh, sure. was loaded with names. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and... I, I, I forgive uh, Rango is actually, I think, one of my favorite Johnny Depp. No, Rango is a very good movie, and all the performances great. are really good. All right, I mean, but yeah, I'm not saying this is a general rule. I'm just saying that I wonder if we're getting away in animated movies from having. Films that have a, a good mix of talented voice actors with some celebrities, where at, and, and as opposed to all celebrities who may be showing up for an easy paycheck. I don't think that celebrities are showing up for an easy paycheck. Okay. Uh, because it takes real skill but then, to give a quality performance in an animated film. Mm-hmm. And So ultimately then, with Megamind, do you think that it came down to... Maybe just not being directed well enough, or not having enough good material. I would, uh, I mean, it's not an outstanding script. Okay. Some of the jokes are a little, uh, are a little, uh, yeah. lackluster. Well, it's like a superhero comedy, right? And, and a real well-written one, too. It, it has, uh, it has genuine wit. Mm-hmm. And and anybody who's familiar with superhero films or or anything superhero mm-hmm. will appreciate the jokes. How but it, uh, how does it hold up with like uh, the Incredibles? Well, The Incredibles is way better. Okay, I was just <laughs> checking. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, but... but you know, nothing... I could see very few animated superhero movies topping The Incredibles. Well, you, you, have, a cer- you have a point there. Uh, 
it's just I think it's just comes down to the fact that, that DreamWorks is not as tech more... is not as technically a proficient as Pixar and Disney at making films. And it comes down to experience with directors, uh, yeah, with with your writers, with your staff. And not that they didn't do a great job. I think this was a 3D film, but the 3D was not obnoxious. Okay. Uh, like, there were some shots like where I thought about, like, oh, yeah, that was probably supposed to exploit the 3D, but there aren't any of them that are like, ah, oh, I'm punching your face! <laughs> no. Uh, I've, I've talked a little too much about this film, but it was a good movie. If you ever seen it on the shelf, it's worth a watch. It's much better than uh, Knights of Bad Astem, I'd say. Uh, it, yeah, it'll should, give you yeah. a few good laughs, and uh, yeah. Tina Fey is great in it. There. Yeah. I forgot we should probably should have been comparing all movies tonight to Knights of Bad Astem. Uh, yeah, but then we'd be here forever. All right, yeah. what was... Uh, have you talked about your last film? Um, well, yeah. Well, let me talk about... Well, I have one more film to talk about, but really right. briefly... Do it. Speaking of... Well... All right, well, I have one more film to talk about, and I have one more little special thing that I thought maybe I could mention. Um, actually, I'll mention the special thing first, because it's really fast. I watched a, a series of Donald Duck cartoons. Oh, yeah. Or in one collection this uh, past week, which I hadn't seen in a while. Uh, keep in mind, uh, and I'll... Go on. Well... <laughs> Sorry. Well, it's... The reason I felt hesitant to bring it up is because, again, it's not, like, a full feature. It's, like, a 50-minute collection of Donald Duck cartoons that were released during the World War II era. Those are were probably released in theaters as shorts before the main feature. So, they were. Uh, they very... Uh, without a yeah. doubt, they were. I mean, they wouldn't have been shown on many TVs. For time. those of you who are not very old, <laughs> there was a time in movie history when there would be a... It was not unusual to have a short animated feature yes. before your movie. Yes. And now Disney, to their credit, they've actually sort of brought that back uh, in recent Disney years. and Pixar. Pixar. Pixar started it. Pixar started it with having Pixar shorts before their movies, and now Disney does it too. In fact, even other Disney movies that you wouldn't expect, like even the Muppet movies, have like a short cartoon. Last year, movies. one of the Disney shorts got nominated. The one that went before Frozen. That got yes. nominated for an, for an Oscar, yeah, yeah, and now they they keep winning Oscars. Actually, uh, I think the movie that played before Big Hero Six won an Oscar. Really? Yeah, it was like a movie with like a cute little dog or something. I didn't see it because I didn't see Big Hero Six. Not in the theater. No, but anyway, this series all right, of, Donald uh, Duck. These, yeah, this was called An Officer and a Duck. This collection, to which what did you say when I told you that I watched this? I forget. You said it was probably hilarious. And a duck. Really? Something like that. I said that. So that's terrible. (laughs) That's probably why you forgot it because it wasn't one of your best lines. All right. Anyway, this collection I've seen since I was a real little kid. Like my video store, they had all these. uh, They had the first generation of Disney videotapes. Like they were, they had all of the tapes where they released in like the mid '80s. Were they in those clamshells? They were in the big clamshells, uh, man. <laughs> the huge. I still have shells. a bunch of those. I, I mean, the first movie that I ever saw in my life, I'm told, because I don't remember seeing. It I don't remember my life very well, but <laughs> no, I don't. But when I, I take history's word. Well, I'm going to say when I was like one, I watched Winnie the Pooh, and I watched it like a hundred times, and it was in one of those. Clamshell editions. Yeah. You know, also for those of you younger viewers, before you could go on Netflix and check out 
you know a movie at any time you had to and go to a video to... store and if you wanted to buy a movie it cost a hundred bucks yeah and you and your uh, rap music and your loud <laughs> rock and roll and your youtubes and your ipods and your slurpees yeah yeah yeah, Tell with those Slurpees, yeah, I say. Alright. Point is, this uh, this was actually also my introduction, I think, to World War II. Uh, they even had like a short little documentary before the cartoon started that sort of illustrated what happened uh, when uh, that the day after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, Disney had already had sort of plans in place uh, for what the animation department was going to do next. I just imagine it being like... Okay, so some people aren't going to understand why we did all this mixed up stuff for World War II. We have to put it in context. Exactly. All right, kids, look, times were bad. Yes. And we're not going to lie, we did some things we weren't proud of. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But let me just say, this is not totally my fault. No, if you ever check out... If you out wonder certain... why Donald Duck looks like a Nazi in this scene. No, and if you ever wonder, <laughs> watching certain Looney Tunes cartoons, why... Why Bugs Bunny does Japanese imitations? Yeah, with buck teeth and glasses and funny voices. Context. And, yeah, there are certain things that happen in those cartoons that you know. I, as a kid, I would see occasionally a, a Bugs Bunny World War Two era cartoon and be like, "Wow." Oh man, then some <laughs> of the things they say. <laughs> I'm not gonna say it on. Uh, I'm not gonna uh, say it on the podcast because uh, it's really improper. You might have one or two Asians. No, just for people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're still good films, though. Oh, sure, good films. These cartoons on this tape, they weren't super. They weren't offensive in that way. They were mostly like charting. Donald Duck joins the army. He wants to fly. He has battles with the character Pete. You know, he's like his superior officer. Um, there's a very funny short where, uh, Donald Duck is like, he's doing camouflage painting of like arsenal stuff and he finds in a special factory invisible paint and he makes but himself I can see invisible. It. <laughs> what? That was a SpongeBob bit. Oh. Here, they go to the joke store. He's like, here we go. Invisible spray. And he hands him the can and Patrick says, but I can see it. <laughs> At that point, I would have been like, shut up, Patrick. Um, but it was a pr- that was a funny episode. Um, so basically, it's Donald Duck mucking around on the base. It's mucking around on getting the base. Getting getting in trouble. Getting in trouble, blowing stuff up occasionally. There's one short, though, that like I forgot that when I was a kid, this sort of... I don't know if it traumatized me for like a minute, even though it immediately gets resolved like one minute later. But there's an episode where he's playing a game with Pete where he's trying to hide under... Uh, like these buckets or something, or no, no, not buckets, but these boxes. And you know, he keeps doing like the old switcheroo game with him, and he keeps hiding and shuffling up the boxes. And Pete's trying to find him, and he kicks the box that Donald Duck is in, and like it slides over this like wired fence. And Donald Duck lands on the ground in like a hole, and he like looks back and suddenly sees that he can't see the other bottom half of him. And he thinks that he thinks that he thinks that he's that he's lost his legs. Yeah, he thinks he's lost his legs, and you know, and he sees like his legs float away on angels' wings, and <laughs> Pete sees this, and he starts crying, and you know, they're both crying, and then it gets a little dark for thirty seconds. Like he pulls, like 
he takes Pete's gun and is about to shoot himself. <laughs> and, and Pete tells him, no, 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 go over there, behind the bushes. And I he, don't want to see you shoot yourself. Yeah, well, then he crawls out, and then, of course, no, his legs are still there. <laughs> and then Pete chases him. But when I was a little kid, there was, like, I don't know why, like, I saw the cartoon, and I was like, all right, he's okay at the end of that. But the whole section where, like, Donald Duck's going to shoot himself from being Jesus. a deputy, stuck with me. Because that was a dark moment for a kid to see that. I didn't know about suicide. I didn't yeah. know about losing your legs and more. Yeah. That was, like, kind of dark for me as a kid. How did that slip by? I mean, even for the time. I don't know. I guess they thought, like... See, seeing it again, I thought it was hilarious. It is hilarious. <laughs> as an adult. But when I was, like, three or four, I was like, man, this is... Oh, my God, did he really lose his legs? Oh, no, his legs are okay. But still, oh, my God, he almost killed himself. <laughs> Donald, like it's, it's drawn out like Donald Duck like has a good battle well he's like no no yeah, yes not, yes yes it's not like for a few seconds he's, he seriously has a long drawn out crisis about yes. shooting himself <laughs> it's like I have to imagine if you if you were a veteran watching that well maybe you maybe know, it gave some catharsis veterans can they probably found that they, funny yeah like soldiers have like at least in the field, they have a rather dark sense of humor. You yeah. need it. So, I don't know, but... Yeah. But, I, uh, so, I, I am not a veteran, but I still think <laughs> Donald Duck contemplating suicide is funny. Yeah, no, So, I'm gonna go funny. with that. Now, it's so funny to me now. And, like, oh, the very last gag is, like, they're run, they're chasing each other, and then they, they pass by a speed limit sign for 35 miles an hour. And then, like, <laughs> the rest of their chases in slow motion. <laughs> So I had to talk about that. I well, I'm glad you did. Yeah. So that was an officer and a duck. It's kind of impossible to find probably now, but I watched it. And maybe you could find these shorts online. The only disappointing thing was that they don't have uh, DeFuer's face, which is the classic Donald Duck cartoon where he uh, I has think a that's... nightmare about becoming part of the Nazi machine. I, I think that won an Oscar, didn't it? That won an Oscar. It did. That's yeah. That's a good point. Um. You know, and in that that one I saw in my twenties. Uh, Remember, there are certain things in history we're not proud of, but they still won Oscars. Dervira's face is great. I know that's like one of the best shorts from Disney, like ever. But still, Disney is embarrassed. They don't release that stuff. At least it's not. On, it's you it's on, on DVDs DVD. that you could get, like for history. Yeah, classes well, and, 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 and some of those DVDs. Didn't Disney do like a whole war series? The, yeah, they released a whole bunch of their war shorts on uh, on DVDs. Matt Rosen, I think, borrowed that from somebody. Uh, th- and like one of them was like one of them was like corn, the grain that built a hemisphere. <laughs> you know, just like a dull documentary. That's but, where that. You know what? I had a running. I had like a running joke joke with him for years, where we just yelled at each other, "Corn." <laughs> and I didn't know where that came from, but now I remember. Okay. And now so, you're like, is it the band? It, it, did we have like a an ear of corn thing? Yeah. Okay. So Donald Duck. Well, let's move on. All right. All right. So last movie. New Year's. Wait. Oh wait. One more. You have movie. one. All right. One more movie. One more. Sorry. One more. And I just watched this today before we hung out. So. Um, this movie is called Filth. Here we go, lads, another ride. Who the fuck is that? 
Peter! Peter! Oh. I haven't seen you in such a long time, sweetie. Where have you been hiding? Brought some friends along, I see. Who the fuck are you? Yeah, I don't know this guy. <gasps> Sorry, I didn't realise it was that kind of scene. <laughs> Peter can be so sensitive. Oh! I don't fucking know you! Okay! Right, hey, 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 come on, man. I don't know the guy, Ray. Well, he seems to know you. You know that fucking shite on the toilet wall, didn't you? Did I fuck? Probably one of your fucking boyfriends. You disgust me. Um, it's a, it's a Scottish movie. And, if you'll pardon me, it's a bit of Scottish, you know? Yeah. I have a bit of a Scottish thing to talk about, you know. I, I think I do it okay. Ah. Uh, yeah, you don't think so? Okay, now it's getting thin. But <laughs> you're, you're not terrible. I should, I, I'm going to start to break out into the Proclaimers song. Oh, no. No, I won't. I'm the only one allowed to sing. No, well, I guess you are trained. All right, All Filth. Right. It's a Filth. Scottish film. Filth is a Scottish film where James McAvoy plays a, a, police, a policeman. He's actually a detective. And um, not unlike uh, Nicolas Cage and Bad Lieutenant Poor Call New Orleans, he's coming apart the seams through drugs and alcohol and uh, sex with hookers. And uh, he's trying to get a promotion. And McAvoy. Mac yeah, McAvoy. Um, it's also... Um, you are a loose cannon. Yes, he is. Um, especially in this movie. It's a far cry from uh, Professor X uh, in the X-Men movies. Um it's a it's a it's a fun movie sort of. I didn't. Uh, it's a little shallow in a way. It's one of those movies that's very style over substance to me. It's it's from a book by the same guy that wrote Train Spotting. This guy Irvin Welsh, um, and it has some of that same sort of deranged comic sensibility of having kind of like an unlikable uh, character and still sort of following him and going through his journey. But the differences between something like uh, Train Spotting and Filth is, uh, Train Spotting you had a uniformly great cast and you had Danny Boyle directing it and it was full of energy and the style actually helped make the substance better. It was just like a really invigorating movie following these like unrelenting people. This movie, Filth, I mean, how many times have we seen a corrupt cop in a movie? You know, how, or not even he's not even so much corrupt. He actually does want to do right by people. He actually even saves, like, a guy's life early on in the movie who's, like, kind of, like, suffocating, and he... He's, like, a pathetic cop. He's very pathetic. He's also a loose cannon. You know, he... Uh, he not only messes himself up, but he gets other uh, policemen fucked up with him. Um, the one thing that really saves Like Jimmy it, Stewart in Vertigo. Um... Well, James Stewart was messed up in a different way than this guy. He was James Stewart wasn't doing lots of drugs and booze, as far as we know. As as far as we know, he was more he was doing the drug of obsession, if they can put it that way. All right. Uh, James McAvoy is great in the movie, and if you are gonna watch the movie, watch it for him because he is he is so good he makes it worth watching. Even though ultimately it's one of those films that throws a lot of stuff at you, and yet. When you look at it, there's not a lot there. You know what's one thing I love about James McAvoy? 
Mm. He was on a, a British talk talk show with uh, Michael Fassbender. Okay. So it was Graham, the Graham Norton show. Right. So Graham Norton showed them the erotic fan art of him and of James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender, <laughs> not as Professor X and Magneto, just but as just as themselves. Oh, and they're that. like they're like in the kitchen, like sneaking up on each other <laughs> and licking d- batter off their fingers. Oh, and they're God. like, and, and they, and uh, first they're like. Man, this is really weird. But then they're like, "Ah, that's kind of cool." <laughs> but they were totally cool about it. They're awesome. Oh well, the, you know they have to get like lots of fan art and mail like that. Well, yeah, but it takes it takes character to to laugh it off and kind of enjoy it. They seem like legitimately cool people. Like when I, uh, I've seen interviews with them, and they seem to actually seem like they're having a good time when they're talking about movies and. You know, like, and I could kind of tell their sort of thing, like in the X Men movies as well. That they have, they have chemistry. They have good male non uh, sexual chemistry. Why you gotta qual- why you gotta qualify it, Jack? I don't. Know. You gotta you got something to maybe I have to some, worry about. Maybe yeah, I have your fan art that I shouldn't <laughs> talk about. But, I knew it, uh, man. Well, you know, when you add the the power of the mind and power of metal and. And dead. I'll show you the power of the mind. <laughs> All right. So, so that's enough of Andrew yelling random movie that's quotes. That's enough of that, and that's enough of filth. Uh, if you want to watch it, it's on Netflix. Easy enough to check out. Uh, if you love Scotland, then I guess you might watch it anyway. But now let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we will talk about our latest films in the New Year's list. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 